middle of the country, but not middle of the road opinions. It's the podcast dedicated to sports in the air capital of the world. I'm going to Wichita. Wichita, Kansas, and beyond with Tommy Castor, Weston Mills, and Blake Cripps. This is Keeper of the Games. Some may say that we are wildly unqualified. Some may say that we are only mildly entertaining. I say we are exactly where we need to be. Talking affiliated baseball in the air capital, this is not a drill. It's actually happened. The wind surge have actually started playing. And with that, we welcome you into the Keeper of the Games podcast, still hoping one day to be the mildly unqualified, wildly entertaining podcast, focusing on sports in and around and of interest to Wichita, Kansas. This is episode number 65 of the Cogpot. I am Blake Cripps, joined once again by Tommy Castor. And Tommy, uh, we play a game on our show called Do the Kansas City Royals Suck? What's up with your Braves right Man, now? I don't even Defend want to talk to you right now. They did win. They did win last night, and they're beating the Nationals right now as we speak. Um, so they might be on a little bit of a two-game run, uh, but uh, all bets are off so far with the Braves. Also, Weston Mills, who actually, I Tommy, I know you're going to hate me, but I have to bring this up, did a mock draft. Uh, now, he did not keep up the pace with underdog fantasy who got 16 correct picks in the first round Todd McShay and Peter King got nine Mel Kuyper Jr. got five depending on how you count it it's either six and a half or seven picks but Weston you got six or seven right in the first round you got the right player the right team but the wrong pick so maybe you do know what you're talking about well you know I was working my sources hard up to up to the draft and I think a few people were, were sending me smoke screens to feed in into everything going on so I'm, I'm gonna blame my sources but you know I'll take the few that I got as you see it's a hard game I mean I was right up there with uh, Kuiper and McShay so I guess I'm the new well like I said I am the senior draft analyst on the KOG podcast that's because you're the only draft analyst on the uh, Cog, Cog Sports podcast. This is Keeper of the Games. We're at cogsports.com, facebook.com slash Keeper of the Games, and at CogPod on Twitter, cogpod.podomatic.com, best place to get the podcast, but it's everywhere, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Google, Apple, and much, much more. Coming up on the show today, the wind surge start play. Kansas football has its man. Major League best, Kansas City Royals. Not quite, but they're close. An update on Shocker Baseball and Softball and, of course, the whip around. But we're beginning today with a special guest. There's another semi-professional team in action in Wichita. It's a new semi-professional basketball team playing in the Basketball League. Formerly the North America Premier Basketball, they began operations in 2018. Now they've expanded to over 30 teams across the country, coast to coast. The Midwest Prestige is currently 0-8 on the year in the Central Division, spanning eight teams in the Central Time Zone with one team in Kansas, one in Nebraska, Oklahoma, Arkansas, and Louisiana, and four teams in Texas. Tyler O'Quinn joins us. He's the team market owner of the Midtown Prestige, playing their home games in Wichita at Charles Coke Arena. Tyler, it's so great to have you on. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me, guys. I appreciate it. Uh, you're welcome, Nate. Great to have you on. So the first question that I have to ask, it's the first year of the Prestige. You guys probably, not of your own choosing, but picked probably the worst time in history to start a professional basketball team with things being locked down, people not being as as able and willing to go out. How are things going for you in year one? I must beg to differ. It was the best time to start <laughs> anything of any kind. You have butt cheeks sitting at home. They need an outlet. They need an outlet. They need a place to go. They need people to see. They need things to do with their family. 
I'm applicable to every genre of people known to man. I just want to jump in real quick and say this is the first time on – I just want to jump in real quick and say this is the first time on Keeper of the Games I think the term butt cheeks has been used, and I love it, Tyler, coming (laughs) in hot right off the bat. I appreciate that. (laughs) Butt cheeks, guys. Um, So – it's blessing. So first year, first year of the team, uh, style, give us a little bit of a breakdown of the style of the basketball league. Four quarters, 12 minutes. From the look of the numbers so far, there's a lot of offense in this league. How would you describe the style of basketball that fans will come to see when they watch the basketball league games at Coke Arena? I would describe it as professional basketball, quick, upbeat, high-flying um, you made the mention of semi-pro before. We're not a semi-pro team. We're a professional organization from the Ruta to the Tuta. And there goes two butt cheek references for you. <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's 100% pro-style basketball. Um, all day, every day, no problem. You're going to see set plays. You're going to see some open floor play. You're going to see everything that you would see at a, at a standard basketball game as far as the professional level is concerned. So, so far on the year, 0-8 to begin the year, but last time out, a 109-104 loss to the Little Rock Lightning. You cut a double-digit deficit down to three with 34 seconds to go. Obviously, not the way you would have wanted to start, but do you see signs of progress? Do you feel like the team is getting to where you want them to be? Well, 100% definitely seeing signs of progress. We would like to use the opportunity at being 0-8 to still continue that you know, evaluate talent and kind of get an idea of, of where we match up in this city. And as far as this league is concerned, there is a number of talented players around the city who just didn't know us, you know what I mean? And didn't take the gamble on wanting to be a part and wanting to play. But now that they're seeing that this thing is real, it's a viable entity, it's actually happening. You know, we're still getting those phone calls in. So I see I see in the near future our talent pool continuing to go up simply because the platform has been built. Well, one thing I wanted to ask, Tyler, is about your personnel and Chris Whitfield, the guy who's averaging 19 points per game, your leading scorer, tied for second on the team in assists per game. How have you been able to identify the talent and the type of guys that you want to bring in to be a part of your program? Well, the the initial thoughts for us is first, you want to see a guy on film, obviously. We got access to people all across the country. Um, Being able to see a guy on film, see what he's doing and who he's doing it against is number one. And then if we believe a person to be worthy, we'll invite them down um, into a practice. We have the luxury of being a professional team, so our roster can change really at any moment, you know, between injuries and and that kind of jazz. So that's kind of how we look to evaluate talent. Uh, Chris Whitfield, somebody who we have depended on, Heavily so far early going on in the season to be a spark plug on our team, get the offense rolling. Um, right now, I'm just going to be transparent. At 0-8, you got to find some brothers that are going to hold some defense. <laughs> we got to play defense. We got to stop guys from scoring. So that's really been been our main focus here as of late. I talked to the coaching staff here recently. We want to make sure that we can we can start standing and having some pride on D. Men's and women's, you have offered some recreational leagues as well outside of just the professional team. Talk a little bit about what you've done with men's and women's reactional, uh, recreational leagues here in Wichita. Yes, sir. So both entities start with the name Midtown. You got Midtown Prestige, the pro team, and then the Midtown Basketball League, 
or the Midtown Classic League is what we've called it, is our men and recreational men and men and women's recreational platform. So we have a eight team, for instance, on the men's side, we have an eight team, eight man roster league. It's 16 weeks. You get 14 guaranteed games. And mind you, these are folks who are paying to play basketball. So it's important for us in terms of uh, quality of product and what we do to put our best foot forward. So we offer things like the film. We offer things like stats. We offer things like highlights. We have three men officiating crews. We want to make sure that if a person is going to come to Midtown, Midtown Basketball Company, spend their hard-earned money to play recreational basketball, that we do right by them. And I'm saying that as somebody who's a member of the league. <laughs> Those stats, now you guys – Sorry, I can jump in because I got to know what Tyler O'Quinn's stats are. I think we played some pickup back in the day, and I'm not so sure. What are those Tyler O'Quinn stats looking like in the rec league? You you know, I'm averaging about three solid (laughs) points a game. You know what, Tyler? Your pause and silence said all I needed to hear. I, I knew what was going on. Now, one thing that you guys have done is to be able to get Charles Coke Arena. Talk about how you were able to pull that off with Wichita State and how fans can get more information if they'd like to see you guys in action. I know you guys are out on a 12-game road trip right now. Game is on Saturday at the Stride Bank Center against the Enid Outlaws, who are currently 8-0, first place in the Central. And you're not back home again until June 5th when you host the Little Rock Lightning as part of an eight-game homestand to end the year. How can people find more information on you? How can people get tickets? What's the process like that to come out and watch you guys actually play at Charles Coke Arena? Well, number number one, we 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 got to give glory back to God on this one. All praise be to God for being able to gather uh, Charles Coke Arena as a home venue. I reached out to a number of different places. If you can imagine being local in the city of Wichita, you call friends, you call Newman call Collegiate, call Independent, hit up Hartman. You know, none of those guys, as you mentioned before, being in COVID, were really opening up their doors. So mm. I got to say thank God for for the crew over there at WSU opening their doors and allowing us to play our games. If anyone would like to gather tickets, it's a 15 buck general admission ticket. You can go to the Go Shocker website um, and pick up your tickets there. That's, that's the best place to start. Um, and, it's, I mean, other than that, I mean, it's – it's all praise to God, bro. I, I can't even lie. I, I want to take the credit, but I can't. Like it, It's not my credit to take. Tyler O'Quinn is the team market owner of the Midtown Prestige. Tyler, once again, his team is in action on Saturday, but they're not home again until June 5th. Charles Cook Arena hosting the Little Rock Lightning, eight-game homestand to win the air in June. I know that you're probably due up again in the bowling order, so we will let you go now, Tyler. Thank you so much for being on the program. So we'll continue now as he goes to bowl another strike there in the bowling league and uh, certainly hope it will be a strike. Guys, we're going to go ahead and keep with uh, professional sports here in Wichita. Finally here, 7.05 p.m. Tuesday, May 11th. It was a year late, tragically an owner short, but we finally have affiliated baseball back in the air capital, Wichita taking down Springfield Two to nothing. Tommy, you're the season ticket holder. I'm going to turn it over to you. What are your thoughts? Wichita finally is ready. They have surged up. Affiliated baseball is back in Wichita for the first time since 2008. Man, I can't tell you how excited I am. Um, you know, my 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 first game will be a week from today. Uh, I won't be at opening night. I won't be at the second game. But the third game on Thursday night um, against the Amarillo Sod Poodles, 
Uh, I am really excited uh, to be inside Riverfront Stadium. Um, you know, I, I got to be honest, I, I've not been to Riverfront Stadium at all. I've driven by it a couple of times. I've not been inside the doors. I've not I've not walked around the premises. I don't know anything about it other than what I've seen in pictures and video. And that's the way I wanted it. I didn't want to just go and take a tour. I didn't want to go and, you know, stand at the fence and look in. I wanted my first experience to be at a ball game, eating a hot dog, drinking a beer. It just so happens that my first game <laughs> is thirsty Thursday. So half price beer. Um, I already, I already told my pregnant wife nice. that she might have to be my designated driver on Thursday night. Um, but I'm, I'm super excited <laughs> and I can't wait. Um, you know, it's been a long time since I can say that I am so incredibly excited to watch baseball in Wichita. Um, my, my first love first and foremost is baseball. Uh, there's nothing like watching a ball game live and in person. Uh, and you know, I went to a lot of Wingnuts games over the years. It was fine. It, I guess it, it was okay, but it, it, it really didn't matter the way that this matters, the way that the Wichita Wranglers mattered in the past. And so just from somebody that's going to be there and, you know, I'm going, I think I've got, it's a partial season ticket plan. So I think there's 12 home games over the course of the season that, that I'll be going to. Um, I, I just, I can't say enough about how excited I am. You know, I may have mentioned this already on, on Weston. That on, would be the time that you would talk normally. Yeah. So I, uh, I mentioned I may have mentioned this on the podcast already, but we were we were kind of my charity that I'm involved with. We we're planning on uh, having an event out at Riverfront Stadium, and and the guy that's kind of in charge of of putting this together had reached out to them. He has a few contacts over there that he's known for a while, and he said that they were telling him the response for tickets after the Wichita State game has been through the roof. So fantastic to hear that the, the people of Wichita are, you know, excited to be there, excited to get out. And, you know, I think we at least either the three of us talked about it together or we talked about it on the show and I can't remember now, but I think we all kind of had talked about, well, kind of feels weird, right? That Wichita State's going to be the first team in Riverfront Stadium. You know, it's it's just too bad that the, the wind surge don't yeah. open up. The more I've thought about it, the more I think it was almost a brilliant opening. I mean, you put a product that the city of Wichita is already familiar with in, in Wichita State that would go out to support just because it's Wichita State, you know, forget new stadium, this and that, you know, we Wichita has always supported Wichita State Athletics. Give them a reason to go out for that and then let them see how beautiful this stadium is, how well it's put together, because that those are the kind of things that I've been hearing. So... I mean, I, I kind of think it was a brilliant opening now, and that is not where I was before. So I can admit if I I don't know if I said it on the podcast that I didn't like it. I'm changing my attitude now, and I think it was a smart way. And and it sounds like which, you know, getting this is coming from people at the team, so it may not be true, but it sounds like there's a lot of excitement, a lot of people that share the sentiment that Tommy just had a few minutes ago that they are excited to get out and watch baseball at this beautiful new stadium. Wind Surge going to be playing in the Double A Central League, the old Texas League. I kind of wish that Major League Baseball, as they took over minor league baseball, would have kept some of these legacy league names. You know, I don't know if there's any real connection to the Double A Central. Does anybody care about that? People know the Pacific Coast League, the Texas League, but you know those are gone for gone the way of the dodo, and it's formed from Texas League teams. 
where they will be playing the former Wichita Wranglers franchise and Royals affiliate, the Northwest Arkansas Naturals. Uh, uh, Ramon Borrego, the manager, says the team should be a contender year one. And there's a great preview article, Wichita Eagle, if you haven't read it, I'd Certainly encourage you to check it out. But some of the prospects that a lot of different media are pointing out that you should keep an eye on, Jose Moreno on the infield, pitchers including Cole Sands and Josh Winder and Gilberto Celestino in the outfield. Tommy, how will you judge this team? Because I feel like Wichita is a Royals market. I want the Twins to fail at everything, which means I should want them to fail at minor league baseball, which is I should want the wind surge to fail. But it's different because it's Wichita. So, and like we've said in previous weeks, the team is not necessarily going to be trying to win, you know, half league championships, full league championships. They need to develop players for the Minnesota Twins. So, what's the standard that we should, as fans, take into the stadium with us? What should we expect to see? And what would you tell to Royals fans who maybe are thinking like me and wishing that this team was a Royals uh, Royals affiliate? Obviously, they're not, but they still want to support Wichita's Make hometown no mistake baseball about it. team. When those players hit the field with the word Wichita across their chest, they're ours. Um, they might be ours for a week. They might be ours for a couple of months. They might be ours for an entire season or longer, but make no mistake about it. They are ours. They're Wichita's at that point. That's the way this city has always operated. In my opinion, um, I'm someone that I've lived my entire life in the Wichita area. Uh, and that's just, I feel like the spirit of this city, especially, uh, when we've sort of seen, kind of a resurgence in local pride and not just local pride, but local sports pride. You look at the way that the Wichita Thunder operate. Uh, you know, you even look at the way that Wichita State sports operates. Um, you know, I, I I think maybe one of the closest things you can maybe look at, I don't really follow the NBA that much, but, you know, Fred Van Vliet is playing for the Toronto Raptors right now. You think when, and I'm guessing this has happened, again, I don't really follow the NBA, but you think that when, you know, the, the Raptors play the Oklahoma city thunder. I'm not saying there's a huge Wichita fan base for the thunder. Do you think their fans are saying, man, I, you know, if if he played for the thunder, I would cheer for him, but you know, he's playing against the opponent. So I'm going to boo him. Well, no, he's a Wichita guy. He played for Wichita state university. I know it's a little bit of a different animal kind of apples and oranges, but at the end of the day, I've got no issue at all with absolutely supporting these guys when they're in Wichita. But then when they face up against the Kansas City Royals someday, I think it's all right to you know cheer for cheer for your team, cheer for your major league team. Um, at the end of the day, it's high quality affiliated baseball back in Wichita. It should be a high quality product out on the field. And the way that I feel like what what really sets this experience for minor league baseball apart from anything else that we've seen in Wichita previous to this is an emphasis on the fan experience, an emphasis on the game day experience. It's not just about the action out on the field. Obviously, that's the bread and butter, but there's a lot more that goes into it. You know, I said this years ago, and I'm going to kind of get off on a little bit of a tangent here. I was probably in college, and I I went with a friend one time up to Kansas City, and we went to a a T-Bones game, Kansas City T-Bones game. Obviously, they're not called the T-Bones anymore, but uh, they're the Kansas City Monarchs, but the T-Bones back then. And watched them play 
and the fan experience was unlike anything I'd ever been to. It was different than a major league baseball game. It was different than a Wranglers game that I had been to back in the past. The way that they they wanted to entertain the fans, even outside of the actual game itself, was was you know, bar none compared to anything else I'd ever seen. I went back, I I left there thinking that's what Wichita needs. That's what's going to get more butts in the seats at Wranglers games. Uh, That's what's going to bring the whole family out. And I think that that's what we're going to see now with the Wichita wind surge, that emphasis on let's make it a big event. Let's make it a party. Let's do a bunch of things that, you know, even for those who are maybe at best casual baseball fans are going to want to say, yeah, I want to go to Riverfront Stadium for a few hours on a Saturday evening or a Sunday afternoon or get off work, grab the family on a weeknight and go down to Riverfront Stadium because we want to watch baseball. It's affordable for the whole family and it's just a whole lot of fun. So that's that's kind of what I would say. Tommy, before I pass it, before we pass it over to Weston, how much of that had to do with what they did inside the stadium and how much did they, that have to do with the stadium itself? Because as we all know... God bless Lawrence Dumont. I called a lot of baseball games there, watched a lot of baseball games there, but it was decrepit. It was not inviting. It was very old. So how much did the building have to do with what they did up there and how much did it have to do with the I don't people know inside if the, building the building itself did a whole lot. I mean, I think the aesthetic probably plays into it. I think, you know, like when I walk into Riverfront Stadium for the first time, I'm expect I'm expecting to be wowed a little bit, you know. I, I should be. There was enough money that was spent in taxpayer dollars. I've been yeah, in there. So I'm, I'm I think you will be. That. But then because I'm such a baseball fan, as soon as the Empire yells play ball, I don't particularly care. I'm watching the game. Right. Um, but at the end of the day, I think it's the sure. overall, you know, and one of the things that is going to be really important uh, to the success of the wind surge long term in Wichita this was a detriment to the Wranglers. It's been a detriment to any other minor league team that's made its way through Wichita was the lack of the surrounding area around the ballpark. Right. Um, and you know, you've seen that sort of step up a little bit. Delano has a few restaurants you can go to a couple, but there's really, you know, that development, you know, immediately surrounding the stadium is going to be big. And it's just, it's always surprised me. I know that there it's always, it always comes back to finances, but it's always surprised me that there, there was, there weren't more restaurants. There weren't, there wasn't more entertainment. There wasn't more of a atmosphere. It was kind of like you pulled into a parking lot. There was really nothing around it, but some, you know, old homes. And then you walked in, you know, to the ballpark and then you got in your car and you left. But if you could make it a destination to stay downtown, to stay down there by the river, to stay down there by Delano before and after a game, that's a, that's a game changer right there. So I don't know, again, the building's great and I'm excited to see the new stadium. I think it's going to be probably a lot more pleasant to watch a game there than you know old Lawrence Dumont but at the same time it's got to be the entire package you know the only thing really that that all add and I think kind of going back to, to Blake's maybe original question of you know how do we kind of differentiate or as a fan like how do you separate out that you know this is a twins organization but yet we're watching Wichita wind surge baseball and I think we've kind of alluded to this but minor league baseball like the wins does not necessarily correlate with talent on the field, if that makes sense, because there is so much movement within the minor league system. I mean, the the good talent is immediate. Maybe they're jumping straight from double A to the pros, or they're going to triple A or a team, you know, they're loaded. So they've got, you know, they, they've got a backlog of, of guys, or maybe they're not very good. Like the pro team's not very good. So they have a lot of young guys up kind of depleting their minor league system. There's just so many variables that, 
any given day, if you go out and watch the wind surge, like them winning is not some sort of detriment to the Royals thinking like, Oh my gosh, the wind surge are winning. That means the twins are good. And that means that the Royals are going to have to battle against them. There is hardly any correlation just because there is so much movement of players and so many different variables. So I think you can easily go in, in, in night in and night out and really root for the team. Now, with that being said, I think one thing that I know I'll probably be keeping an eye on is you go out and watch some of these prospects, you know, particularly that Blake mentioned, I don't know that I'm going to want to see any one prospect just be overly dominant because you know they're going to wind up on the <laughs> yeah, on their big league team. They're going to go to the Twins, right? I think what I'll be rooting for every night in and night out. I just want to see a good quality team <laughs> win. Everybody contributing just a little bit, not too much. That's probably probably will be my approach to, to fandom. But I, I think that you can go in and, and be a fan and not worry about it uh, ruining the Royals and, and what they're doing. There were a lot of times, you know, when the when the Wranglers back in the early 2000s where they were winning the Texas league and the Royals were losing 105 games a year like that that happened quite a bit I'll t- one, <laughs> yeah. one other quick you know story that I'll tell because I, I feel kind of like waxing poetic and reminiscing about the good old days hey, if you'll indulge me for just a second uh, yeah so yeah, we can you know, I, I was obviously story. I was a big baseball fan as a kid played little league baseball loved watching baseball and I loved the Wichita Wranglers and I remember you know being in little league baseball and and Weston, I don't know if this was still going around when when you played little league baseball, uh, if you remember this at all in the Wichita area. But there was something the Wranglers had that was called the Knothole Gang, and it was this. It was a, a group that you as like a fan club for kids that you could join. And part of it was your little league baseball team would could go to a game each year. You kind of picked a game you wanted to go to. You wore your your jerseys, you know, there to the game, and then you you got to go out on the field. And you got to stand by a player during the national anthem. And then you got to run off the field and give Wilbur Wrangler the mascot a high five. So I remember doing that, you know, when I was, uh, you know, eight or nine years old and how exciting it was. And the fact that, you know, I knew that some of the guys that I got to stand next to were eventually going to make it to the big leagues, you know, and I was a little kid and that was, that was really monumental for me. A few years later, you know, I'm, I'm older and I go back to a wingnuts game. And it was just sad. I mean, just that it just wasn't what it was. I, it was in, and what was weird about it was I was in the same location, the exact same stadium, and it just felt completely different. It just felt completely hollow compared to what it used to be. And so, what I'm excited about, I think, more than anything else, for the wind surge is kind of a return to that. And especially with kids, you know, I'm I'm gonna be having my own son pretty soon. You know, in about a month or so. Um, I'm looking forward to being able to take my kid to, you know, minor league baseball games in Wichita in a beautiful stadium and have him feel like I did when I was a kid, regardless if they're a twins affiliate or Royals affiliate or somebody else. Uh, I'm just excited for that for Wichita and especially for the kids who love baseball. Tommy, once again, Oh, go ahead. Yeah, Tommy, didn't you tell me off air that when you did that as a kid, you stood, you, the players in the minors that you stood between were George Brett and Frank White. Weren't those the two minor leaguers that you were? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not. I mean, that's that's wow. that's a very accurate take. Wow. Very good. I'm use not of even going to dignify there. that with a response. <laughs> I mean, you shouldn't because it's the truth. Once again, first pitch, 7.05, Tuesday, May 11th for Riverfront Stadium here in Wichita. The wind surge still in action out on the road for this first week. But, hey, they are 1-0. Let's go ahead and just stick around on the diamond here uh, while while we're talking baseball. Shocker softball taking care of business this past weekend. They won three of four from their arch rivals from Tulsa. 
five-run fifth inning from the Hurricanes to avoid the sweep in game four. Shockers could have really used that one to help get a better spot in line for the AAC title. Guys, it's pretty simple. I've broken down the math for you. Wichita State needs help from the former top 25 Knights of Central Florida. If they, who are playing the Bulls, if they split with South Florida two games apiece, Wichita State wins the title. If South Florida sweeps, no matter how long the series is, they will win the American Athletic Conference title. If USF takes two of three, they will be ahead in the win percentage by one one thousandth of a point. They will have played less games in Wichita State. I'm assuming that the conference would break that tiebreaker in the Bulls' favor. If USF loses the series, no matter how long the series is, Wichita State wins the championship. Clutch performance this last week, coming back after a little bit of a, of a lull for Wichita State. And obviously, we can see, we saw this week why number one Oklahoma has beaten the Shockers, I think, 36 straight times. 14-3 win for Oklahoma. That's why they're the number one team in the country. They've only lost one game all year. But, Tommy, big, big series for the ladies last week. And Oklahoma didn't go the way we would have wanted it to, but three of four, they've got a real good chance. I think this is just my opinion. I believe that there will be a split of that series between South Florida and Central Florida. That gets Wichita State the championship. I don't know if South Florida is good enough to win three of four. Yeah, I think you have to go back and you have to look at that last series against USF at home. You know, back in the what the the third weekend in April when the Shockers dropped three of four. um, You know, because that could ultimately come down to being the deciding factor about you know where Wichita State lands as far as the the final standings are concerned. You go back to that Oklahoma game, and I think the best analogy that I can give is you know if Wichita State and their pitching. All season, if you could call that, you know, in a in a movable object, then Oklahoma by far was the unstoppable force that moved the moved the immovable ob, you know, object. Um, because th- there's a reason, a legitimate reason, why Oklahoma is the number one team in America. Um, just the the offensive capability that they have, the way that they just were able to take it to Bailey Lang, you know, in that game, she pitched four innings, gave up, you know, six runs, five earned, seven hits. She walked four, only struck out one. And Bailey Lang is what the ace of the staff, right? For the Shockers, you know, outstanding. Great pitcher. pitcher. You know, I wouldn't be, she's probably in consideration. Wouldn't surprise me at all, you know, to be in consideration for, you know, pitcher of the year in the American conference. Um, she's, you know, 19 and six now after that loss against uh, the Sooners, but she has pitched pretty fantastic all year long. And Oklahoma just came in and, you know, then th- they're going to do that to pretty much everybody in the country. It's not like, as we know, and if, if we know, we, we've talked about this multiple times on this podcast, the, you know, shocker softball program, they're no slouch, right? They're, they're a ranked program and Oklahoma just completely neutralized them uh, with their bats. And that's what we've seen from Oklahoma all year long. So it's going to be interesting, you know, to see how the shockers are able to, you know, what, what they're able to do as far as, you know, where they, where they rank in the final standings and then what ends up happening from there. What's the shockers, state of mind, you know, going in uh, to postseason play. And I think it's going to depend a little bit upon where they fall, kind of what the seating looks like and all of that. But at the end of the day, um, you know, they've got to stay resilient. I'm sure that the end of this season 
has not been the ideal way for it to go for Wichita State softball after having such a great start to the year. They've dropped off a little bit. Of course, they end the regular season losing two in a row. They dropped the the series finale against Tulsa on the road before dropping that game against Oklahoma. So um, not the way that the, the Shocker softball program wanted to end the regular season, but they still have an opportunity to do some really special things. Fellas, I've always said on Shocker show, baseball also in action. Shocker baseball. Oh, no, you go. You go ahead. I'll make my point at the end of, of talking Shocker baseball, too. Hey, I was going to say, if you don't jump in, I'm going to start talking. So that, that's how this works. I go, then Tommy goes, then you go. And if you don't start going, I'm going to start talking again. So that's that, that's that's the plan. Um, but anyways, Shocker softball is going to be in action at the 2021 American Athletic Conference softball tournament. It will be held on the campus of the University of Tulsa at the Collins Family Softball Complex. First tournament since 2018. 2019 tournament canceled due to weather. 2020 tournament was canceled due to the pandemic, obviously. So the Shockers looking at the one or two seed there, depending on how things shake out. And I wanted to go uh, to, to pivot to Shocker baseball, where the Shockers split with East Carolina, the number eight team in the country. And guys, Friday started off about as horrible as it could have. They got blasted 10 to nothing by the Pirates. Come back, game two, Jace Kaminska. 5-0 on the hill for the Shockers this year. Goes seven innings, gives up just two earned runs. Shockers get a multi-hit game from Ross Kadena, multi-hit game from Wallace, Bartlett, and Gibson. 14 hits for, for the Shockers as they chase the East Carolina starter, and they end up splitting that series. Ross Kadena had six hits in the two games that the Shockers won, so he was fantastic in the wins for Wichita State. The, the pitching wasn't quite as good in that game four that they won, but Tommy, real big comeback for Wichita State baseball. You, you heard the comments, or I guess we didn't play them, but Eric Wedge was not super high on his team after the Cincinnati series, and they had struggled against Tulane after massacring Houston, two series that were frankly not very good for Wichita State to come back and split with the number eight team in the country, East Carolina, at X Stadium. Fantastic response for the Shocker team and Eric Wedge's first full season as the Shocker head coach as they look to return. Yeah, to former that's glory. you know it could you know easily be a momentum builder for Wichita State. You know, going in being able to split with the number eight team in the country, they've got an opportunity here to you know they're not going to win the conference, right? Like that's not going to happen. Tulane is you know looks like you know they're probably going to be running away with it, either them or, or East Carolina. But they've got an opportunity to finish in the top three. Sure. You know, they could overtake. UCF as far as, you know, go, coming in number three in the regular season standings, you know, there are only a couple of games behind, you know, Central Florida right now for that number three spot in the standings. There's, you know, still a lot of baseball left. It's kind of funny when, you know, obviously baseball and softball are two different animals altogether, but we're talking about the Shockers wrapping up the regular season. Uh, Shocker baseball still has a long way to go. You know, after this East Carolina series that they just wrapped up, they're on the road for another four game set at UCF. That's going to be a critical series this weekend to see if they can move up from that fourth spot to that third spot in the standings. And then they take on USF back at home, Memphis. And then, you know, that's their, their last regular season series at home at X stadium. Uh, the the third week of May before they get into uh, the the American uh, Conference tournament. So 
you know, there, there's a lot of baseball left for Wichita State. I think they can still finish on a high note. I think they can still look at getting that number three spot. And a great way to start is that series against East Carolina. So Weston, I guess my question would be to you, what's it going to take for Eric Wedge's squad to be able to finish the season on a strong note? It's been up and down for Wichita State right now. And obviously at times it looks like the Shockers are still trying to find their footing, but at other times they look like they're a really solid baseball squad. So what would you think as far as what's going to be essential for the Shockers moving forward? Well, there's two definite cliche answers here, right? I mean, you want to you want to see two things as you, as you're finishing the year and and like you said, like I mean, they're not you know they're not going to win the American. That's not happening. So, I mean, the two things you're looking at is continue to do the things that have put you on that hot stretch when you've won games. What were you doing well, and are we still doing those? And then the other cliche answer, and this is it's a cop out, but it's the truth. I mean, this is the only the only way you can approach this is then what have they not been doing well? Are we seeing improvement towards the end of the year? Because you, I mean, especially with the guys that are returning, it's not like a you know a, a pro team where okay, we've got six holes, we'll go out and we're going to trade this guy, we're going to go sign this guy, we're going to bring this guy up from the minors. You know, you're rolling with with these guys next year, other of course with the graduating seniors. So. I mean, that's really all you can do at this point is is really look like we got to focus on what are we doing well? We got to continue to do that well. What aren't we doing well and how can we get better? And I want to see improvement through through the end of the year. So, uh, I mean, that's that's really, you know, the best way to approach that, I think, at this point. But other than that, I mean, I, I, I think it's, uh, you know, exciting. And certainly this is kind of the business side, right? I mean, I think you kind of want to build momentum, especially coming off of, a year in which, you know, it's been hit or miss with having people in the stands. And then, you know, this year it's, it's been a little different there as well. So like, Hey, we got to build momentum excitement. We want to get people, you know, excited to come out and, and support in 2022 and, and, watch soccer baseball. And that's kind of the business side of things, which, you know, maybe not as much Eric Wedge is a concern now, but putting an exciting product on the field is what does that. So that's what they're looking at uh, as they come to a close here. Last road trip of the season to Central Florida in Orlando coming up on Friday. Doubleheader Friday, one game Saturday, Sunday. First pitch on Friday is 1 o'clock. And then eight-game homestand to wrap up the season starting on May 14th on a Friday with a four-game set against South Florida. And then Memphis for a Thursday-Friday Saturday series on May 20th, 21st, and 22nd. We've had so much fun talking about Diamond Sports. We're going to keep doing it. It's time to play the game. Do the Kansas City Royals suck? The answer right now is not just no, but hell no. But we may be seeing signs that maybe the Royals aren't all that they've been cracked up to be. Uh, Yesterday, exceptionally disappointing end to that game. Royals up three to nothing on the Indians, looking to break a two-game losing streak. The Indians come back with seven runs in the last three innings, and the Tribe wins it 7-3. Cleveland currently down against the Royals. This is a home series in Kansas City. It is 2-0 Kansas City in the bottom of the fifth as the Royals look to end a three-game losing streak. So Kansas City currently on the season coming into this game at 16-12 and on the year, and they are still nominally in first place in the American League Central, a half game ahead of the Chicago White Sox at 16-13, no longer the best team in the American League, Boston at 18-12, and 
leading the East and Oakland 19 and 12, the two definite favorites so far. Although I still think Houston plus 28 in the run differential in that AL West is way underrepped at their one game above 500. And Boston, I think New York starting to come to life here seven uh, of seven of the last 10 that they have won. I think that they're starting to finally pick up the pace. Guys, Kansas City has lost three in a row. They've lost five of their last seven. A lot to talk about here with Jacob Junis going to the bullpen despite four solid starts, a 3.80 ERA, 24 strikeouts, and 21 of the third innings with an excellent cutter in the last couple of appearances for him. He is not anticipated to be the closer. He is expected to throw in high leverage situations for Kansas City. Kansas City really flustered by those high leverage situations in that Indian loss on Tuesday. Daniel Lynch, big-time prospect, coming up. Three runs and four and two-thirds innings in his big league debut. Four hits, four walks, three strikeouts. Not really a sharp start to his career. First hit of the game was a laser beam that happened to get caught by Gerard Dyson. But give him some credit. He was able to work around some issues. Definitely showed some fight and battle some grit. Had a good slider at times. But the Indians did get hard hits against him every inning. Tommy I hesitate to say that the wheels are cutting off because I think that there are a lot of bright spots right now, a lot of good things happening for the Royals. And I don't think that any of us really expect that the Royals are just going to be trashy this year at all. But do you think that this is maybe the start of a regression to the mean? No, for the I don't boys think in so blue? at all. Um, we, you know, we could we could talk about the Royals, you know, three game losing streak. We could talk about the fact that, you know, currently right now they're playing Cleveland and they're shutting the Indians out right now, 4-0 in the top of the fifth. We could talk about that. We could talk about Daniel Lynch and his debut and how he looks to be, you know, a, a guy that could be a big contributor in that rotation for the Royals moving forward. We could talk about Jacob Junis. We could talk about the Royals signing Alcides Escobar and trying to get the 2015 crew back together. We could, we could talk about all of that stuff, and I'm sure that we will. But I cannot talk about anything else other than Angel Hernandez should never umpire another Major League Baseball game. He's terrible. Ever. Ever. I mean, that was some of the worst umpiring that I have ever seen. And you know what? Every like I can think of maybe the top 10 worst umpiring moments. And Angel Hernandez is probably on seven of them. Uh, maybe. And that's that's cons- <laughs> That's conservative seven out of 10, um, just absolutely egregious. And so I, I just wanted to get that out of the way in the first place. The fact that major league baseball themselves admit that basically Hernandez is a trash umpire and he's not given world series or playoff games because of his inability to be a good umpire. Uh, I think that just, that says it all. He's protected by the union. That's all there is to it. And of course, uh, if you don't know what we're referring to, there was a pretty bad call, pretty terrible call in the Royals Indians game. Uh, the other night, horrible call. Out. Uh, I don't even know who hit, who hit that ball. I don't even remember who hit that ball. Salvador Perez. It was Salvador That's right. hit that ball Perez. that dropped in between the Indians outfielders, and uh, you know Angel Hernandez called him out when the ball clearly dropped in between them, and it caused what Andrew Benintendi correct to get you know tagged out back at, at second. He was doubled off. Yeah, he was doubled off anyway, at the time. 
Yeah, which right. they, they fixed that. And, and he said that he couldn't see it because of the LEDs on the scoreboard. Now, I'm sorry. Don't most of those parks have LEDs on those fences out there, the, the ones that have the, the scoreboard? So what? if you can't see, wear some sunglasses, yeah. have a plan. Like, what? why is nobody else the making the day, this though, mistake? I just wanted to get that out of the way. To answer your actual question, though, about it, you know, if the Royals are starting to regress, I don't think so. I think think that what we're seeing right now is, you know, these sort of things just happen, right? You know, there's not going to be any team in baseball that is going to be able to sustain a stretch quite like what the Royals, how they started off the season. You even look at a team as powerful as the Los Angeles Dodgers. They went through a pretty big slump a couple of weeks ago. You know, they were the, they were the best team in baseball and by far the best team in baseball. And they've got probably the best starting lineup in baseball. They've got a pretty dominant rotation, although Dustin May just went to the injured list, but, but they went through a rough stretch as well and nobody was writing them off. So I don't think it's time to start writing the Royals off yet either. I think that we've seen quite a bit of talent from this Royal squad. I think the mix of players, uh, it's working right now for Mike Matheny for the most part and the way that he's been able to, you know, put this team on the field night in and night out. So no, I don't think they're regressing, uh, back to the mean. I just think this is a, a natural occurrence that happens in Major League Baseball. It's a grueling season, as we all know. You're going to have some short stretches, more than likely, even the best teams do, where you don't play your best baseball. So I'm not concerned right now. Um, I, I think that we'll continue to see the level of success from Kansas City that we've seen to start the re- start the season. There's really no reason for me right now to think otherwise. You know, I want to go back to because, you know, you, you touched a little bit on Daniel Lynch and, and some of the problems that the, the Royals are having. So I don't know if you if either of you got a chance to watch that Daniel Lynch start, but his stuff looked phenomenal. Yeah. His slider is almost like something I, I haven't seen before. I mean, it's just got so much movement. And really, if, if you watch that game, I mean, and you, it gets it, it really came down to one pitch where uh, Lynch threw, and I can't even remember, I think it was just a fastball down, hit to, se- hit to second base. No, I'm sorry, hit to short. Should have been an easy double play to get out of the inning, to have Lynch go six innings, potentially get that win, and Whit Merrifield throws it to the right of the first baseman. And that, that oh, is a different error. So that is then leading. I was with, thinking of the Nicky Lopez backhand right. scoop play, which like that was kind of an in between hop. Yeah, different play. Yeah, no, this was I and so this was that was the at bat before Lynch got pulled, um, because it, you know then they got they got two runners on. He doesn't get out of the inning. He, they come. Uh, Barlow comes in, of course, gives up a double, scoring two runs. So Lynch gets charged with three runs, but absolutely should have went six, gave up one, if not for an air. And I preface all that to say that really is the major problem the Royals are facing right now is their defense. They're, I mean, they're just poor defensively right now. I think I saw that they had 19 airs, which is uh, tied for fourth worst in the major leagues up, up to this point. And <sighs> I've kind of talked about it with the bats, and so it's it's a hypothetical, but it's something that doesn't overly worry me because, in theory, they should have some guys returning that shift things around to make this team better defensively. I think we would all be in agreement, no matter how much Alberto Mondesi has struggled at the plate throughout the years, the defense has been phenomenal throughout his time in the big leagues. Bringing him back short, and I'm not saying he's the best, but very, very, very above average when you bring him in at that shortstop position defensively. You Bringing him back in puts Nicky Lopez back to second. 
Again, all the minor league metrics on Nicky Lopez is he has been an outstanding second baseman defensively. That's never been in question. He has definitely struggled when moving to short, but has had a great defensive minor league career at second base. So that kind of shores up your middle infield right there. And then potentially you, you got a lot of different things about Hunter Dozier playing third, whether it's does Bobby Witt get called up at some point. Obviously, Bobby Witt comes in at third. All the metrics on him say defense is outstanding Hunter Dozier is a better outfielder than he is an infielder. Those are just some of the things that you can see naturally progress to make this team defensively. And then also they just got to play better, right? Like I, I don't think any of us are overly concerned about Nicky Lopez or Whit Merrifield's defense. I mean, they just haven't got it done. So, uh, you know, I think that kind of is, it has led into a lot of things. Um, you know, and the only other thing I want to add to kind of veering off of that, but you talked, talked about Jacob Junis, uh, you know, I, I I think the decision there was they didn't feel like they could bring up anybody but Daniel Lynch being ready, and it, they didn't feel like the natural to fill in for the Jesse Hahn and I, I can't I'm trying to blank on who the other injury is, but nonetheless, two guys out of the bullpen that are injured, they didn't feel like it would help the progression of Daniel Lynch to bring him up immediately, put him in the bullpen as opposed to Junis can kind of hopefully be that that transition guy, you know, he's been around, he's kind of done different things. So they felt more comfortable asking him to do that. Um, even though the plan is to transition him back to starter. So not overly concerned about that as well, but you know, not, and then a- answering the question, certainly no, I, I don't think anybody should be, this is the game of baseball, you know, <laughs> failing seven out of 10 times and you're still a hall of famer if you hit, hit 300. So, you know, I mean that this is just going to happen. You go through these kind of things and, and I wouldn't be worried about the Royals yet. Yeah, Hunter Dozier, two for three on Tuesday. He's hit a lot of balls hard. People are saying that he may be the most unlucky hitter because of his exit velocity. He has really tagged a lot of balls. Uh, Carlos Santana took a big step backward. He had an 0 for 5 Tuesday, and he had been great. Let me point out for the record that he had been hitting 370 over his last seven games or above 365, Uh, but not a good day on Tuesday. Danny Duffy is still pitching. I have to say he's pitching like a Cy Young candidate right now. He has been unbelievable off the charts but you've got other guys out of the bullpen which is kind of why they've had this dilemma with what to do with Junis Jake Newberry has been terrible for Kansas City ERA over 16 and a half out of the pen over four games one inning Sunday against the Twins gave up three earned runs three hits in an inning Stallman has been incredible but boy he was he stunk it up uh, last night as we're recording this podcast on Wednesday. So we're talking about the Tuesday game. Wednesday game is still in action. Royals still on top in that game as we're recording this. And Benintendi has been turning things around as well. Coming into this week, six-game hitting streak, batting 476 over those games, two for five last night. But, Tommy, I like having a guy in the starting rotation that I know that I can count on. To me, I think this is a big risk with Jacob Junis moving him to the bullpen. Pitchers sometimes can be temperamental. They aren't always as consistent when they are asked to change roles. And I think if you take away some of the starting pitching, we still don't know exactly what we're going to get out of Brad Keller one night to the next. He had kind of an okay start his last time. The start before that, he was pretty good. And the start before that, he was awful. So we still don't know exactly what we're getting out of Keller. Danny Duffy has been really good. I, I, I don't know if I would have made this decision to get Jacob Judas out of the starting lineup. I know Daniel Lynch has got good stuff. He didn't control it pretty well. And, I mean, I I know that, you know, you like the slider, Weston, but he got hit 
hard in every single inning. The Indians tagged him at least once in every inning. And so if a couple of those get strung together, Tommy, you know, maybe Daniel Lynch isn't quite ready to be that guy. I don't know if I would have made that move putting Junis into the bullpen. He hasn't been just overwhelming as a starter, but gosh, a 3.80 ERA in 21 and a third innings. That's a, I know that it's a, it's a short sample size and relative to the season, but that's a pretty good start to the season as a starter. I don't know if I would have wanted to be messing with that this early, just turning the well, calendar. I don't on disagree with Maya. you, but at the same time, I think you answered your own question a little bit about why the Royals did that, why they made that move. You absolutely cannot make a move like that if you don't have Danny Duffy in the starting rotation. Uh, if you don't have an ace that sure. you can count on, you know, every fifth day, and that's what they have in Danny Duffy right now. Now, who knows? He's you know, who who great. knows if, if Duffy can keep this up all season long? I don't know. I'm optimistic, but as of right now, I think I am safe in calling <laughs> Danny Duffy the ace of the Royals rotation. So. So I think you can, I think you have the luxury a little bit to play around with the starting rotation with Jacob Junis a little bit. Now I, I kind of agree with you. I don't know if I personally would have made that move right now, uh, but I, I, I understand why the Royals did it. And I made this comment. I I don't even know if it was last week or two weeks ago, but about the fact that, you know, uh, it was in reference to the difficult schedule that the Royals have coming up and how easy the schedule was to start the season. It, it gives the Royals a little bit of a cushion to be able to tinker, right? It gives them a little bit of an opportunity to figure out what works best for this squad. They have the luxury of doing that as opposed to being several games under 500 and scrambling to try to figure it out. It helps give them a little bit of a cushion. The one thing that I will say, and I'm sure that Weston will have a follow-up on the rotation question that you had, but one other quick note that I want to point out before we get back to that is that really my only cause for concern right now with the Royals is defensively. You know, they've got the fourth most errors in all of baseball. They've, They've had 19 errors this season, and I think some of that... You have to you have to attribute a little bit to you know um, you know Mondesi not being with the team. I mean he's a he's an elite defensive shortstop, and I think that when they're able to get him back, I know it sounds like he might be starting a a rehab assignment in the next couple of days, maybe starting to work his way back into the into the mix there for Kansas City. Uh, that's one of the concerns that I have. One of the small ones is they've got to try to shore it up a little bit more defensively. But, you know, again, to answer your question about the rotation, I think that might be the only uh, the only saving grace, I think, in making that call is the fact that Danny Duffy has pitched so well. So, Weston, I don't know if you have a follow up on that or if you disagree with what I just said. No, I think I agree with, with both of you in the sense, you know, that you certainly don't want to move Jacob Junis if you don't have to. I think it was just purely a move out of necessity. I don't think they felt like they had another option. I mean, you know, and I guess maybe what Blake is is suggesting is is not Daniel Lynch, but really, if you want to talk long term growth of either of them, I, we you've gotten a lot longer look at at Jacob Junis to say, okay, he's not. He's not potentially going to develop into an ace. I know he's been great this year, but we've also seen not good Jacob Junis and just the metrics. I mean, sure. and, and you can even disagree with that. But we've I just seen think, not good Danny Duffy too, though. 
It, no, and I agree. And I just think that the, the Royals position is Daniel Lynch could be an ace for us someday. Jacob Junis is not that. We're more worried about stunting the growth of Daniel Lynch by bringing him up and putting him in the bullpen than by moving Jacob Junis to the bullpen. But absolutely, I, I agree with the sentiment that you don't want to move someone who's who's been hot on the bump you know, for a month now t- to the bullpen. Um, but at the same time, though, I, I think there's something to be said for, you know, having someone in high leverage situations, it's not that the bullpen has been lights out. I mean, they haven't been bad. They haven't been good. I've just been kind of, uh, there've been moments where they've been really good. There's moments when they've been, eh. there are pieces that have been good. Sto- right. Stomont and Barlow have been good mostly, but as you guys both mentioned, and as I mentioned for, you know, uh, Stomont, the recent starts have not been good. Well, and Wade Davis has kind of been just, uh, Greg Holland's just kind of been like, you've been saying yeah. just okay. And to that point, I, I, I think that's why, I mean, there is such value to have a good pitcher to to pitch in those high leverage situations that aren't Stama and Barlow, who have now been really kind of moved towards the back end of that bullpen. You know, you don't really, you don't want to, at least it's not typical to bring your ninth inning guy or your eighth inning guy in those high leverage situations. So it's nice to have a guy that has been so good. Ideally, you didn't, you wouldn't want that to be a starter, you know, that you had to move, but nonetheless. So I think that's kind of it is. And boys, I don't know if you saw the news, but Alcides Escobar back with the team. We're trying to get the full 2015 roster back together. Uh, <laughs> say what you want about Esky, but you won't say that his defense isn't phenomenal. So I'm sure you'll see a little bit of plug and play. He's reporting to AAA Omaha. I'm assuming there might, I mean, there's going to have to be some roster stuff. He probably has to get his feet under him, but certainly if you're, if you're looking for a quick defensive fix, Alcides Escobar will be that. Kansas City Royals currently in action against the Indians, top of the sixth, 4 nothing. You got the Indians again. Day game, it's getaway day for the Indians on Thursday, 1-10. Virtual school day at the K on Thursday. Three games set with the White Sox and then three games set on the road with the Tigers. And so the schedule kind of up and down right now, playing the Indians and the White Sox. I think the teams that Kansas City should be feeling are their peers in the American League, and then they will play the trash of the American League, the Detroit Tigers coming up moving on transitioning into probably the biggest non-baseball related story that we've got on tap for you this week the Kansas Jayhawks have found their man Lance Leopold is the 41st coach of Kansas football it is a 16-year deal worth over 16 million dollars six years at Buffalo previously he led the Bulls to three straight winning seasons first time in 20 years that had happened for UB 24 wins over his final three seasons the most successful in program history eight seasons for him previous to that at Wisconsin Whitewater a NCAA Division 3 power he went 109 and 6 Can interest you in that six national championships Three bowl appearances, two bowl wins at Buffalo. Bulls went 5-0 and in the regular season last year. They won the MAC East Division title, beat Marshall in the Camellia Bowl. He has both of UB's bowl wins, and the Bulls were in the top 25 for the first time ever last season. They finished as the number 25 team in the country. Tommy, your initial thoughts. This was your guy. We both wanted the guy from Army. Weston and I did not get our desire. Um, I don't hate this hire at all. I, I think Lance Leopold is, uh, it sounds like he's a good guy. Sounds like he really knows his stuff. Obviously, he's had success everywhere that he has been. 
Kansas has had guys who have done that before, though, and it hasn't always worked out. Uh, what are your thoughts on Lance Leopold being the 41st head football coach in Kansas Jayhawks Well, I have Jayhawk to correct history. you first and foremost, and this is probably something that the voice of the Jayhawks, Brian Haney, is learning a little bit right now and had to make sure he got it right. It's actually Lance Leipold is the pronunciation. Leipold is Leipold, the pronunciation. Okay. Uh, of his name. Uh, but no, I, I think this is a phenomenal hire. Um, I'm excited for it. I really believe that when when I watched the press conference, and I know it's not about the press conference, right? It's about what you do on the field. I understand all of that. But when I watched the press conference with new athletic director Travis Goff and new football coach Lance Leopold, my prevailing thought was we finally have some competence back in the athletic department and specifically the football program at the University of Kansas. Uh, make no mistake about it. We all know this. The entire world knows this, how much of a laughing stock Kansas football has become. The only goal that Lance Leopold and Travis Goff should have is to make Kansas not a laughing stock anymore. It doesn't necessarily have to be winning championships. <laughs> it doesn't necessarily have to be, you know, what whatever those lofty goals and expectations are. And I know that Leipold made the comment in the press conference that every coach is going to make that I'm here to win championships. I get all of that. The the goal, the, the most pressing goal <laughs> is to pull Kansas football out of the dumpster. That's plain and simple what it is. And I feel like this is the duo that could actually do that. Um Jeff Long and Les Miles, they were nothing but smoke and mirrors. It was nothing but a, a bait and switch, uh, in my opinion, with those two guys at Kansas. Uh, I kind of feel the same way about Charlie Weiss in retrospect. It was a bait and switch. What Kansas fans were promised and what he delivered were two totally different things. Uh, David Beatty was in over his head. Turner Gill was in over his head, in my opinion. From what the pedigree that Lance Leipold has coming into Lawrence, the pedigree that Travis Goff has coming into Lawrence, and the fact that they just they carry themselves with dignity, they carry themselves with competence. Um, that's a good that's a good foundation to build upon. And I have to give Les Miles a little bit of credit. The the roster is in better shape now than it was before he came to, to Kansas. They didn't win, but it, it is in better shape than it was when he first got there. How well, true, but the it is in better be? shape, right? It is it, it it the job I feel like was a little bit more appealing for coaches this time around than it has been the last couple of times. The fact that Kansas had to hire David Beatty, who had never been a coordinator at the college level, he had been a position coach. That's the best they could do because nobody else wanted the job. There were people that were fighting for this job that were quality candidates. Lance Leopold being one of them, Jeff Munkin being another one. There were a couple of other guys. So clearly it's a little bit more of an attractive place. It's Don't get me wrong. It's not an attractive place, but it's more of an attractive place than it was a couple of years ago. I think you credit sure. that a little bit to Les Miles. And now that the important thing is going to be, you know, how does Leopold, uh, how, do, how does he put together his staff? How does he keep as many recruits as he can? And how does he try to field at least a, a, a relatively semi-competent team on the field this fall? It's going to be a big challenge, but I, I like the hire. I think Kansas got a good one. 
You know, this is something that I have kind of always thought for coaches, and it, it's something that I, I felt like Bill Belichick has done well. Coaches who put their ego aside and say, I'm going to coach to the strength of my players, as opposed to coaches that say, I run this system and you're going to fit it or you're not going to play for me. That's what I love about Lance Leipold. He's already coming and said, and there's you know past years of, of him showing that he does this, of his offensive style is going to be, what does my roster dictate? He has a very diverse playbook, a very diverse offense. He can spread it out. He can you know go double tight. He does a lot of 12 personnel. He can do 11 personnel. He can do 10 personnel. It, it, you know, what strengths does my team have? I'm going to use that and exploit it because that's something that I feel like a lot of coaches can't do. They have their own ego. They win for, for whatever, for right or wrong. They win at a certain level doing a certain thing, and then they can't get out of that mold. Well, when you come to a place like Kansas, you're not going to have the same talent year in and year out. So being able to coach to the strengths of what players you do have that are playing well is is so important. So I'm excited that he has said that. Um, I'm excited that he has shown that in years past. I think that also helps recruiting, you know, not having one particular style where you can only get one particular of style player wanting to come play for you. And then the other thing about Lance Leipold, the dude's a winner. Yeah, I, I get that it's at, you know, first it was at, you know, division three and, and then it's the, at, at, at in the Mac. But the dude's a winner. I mean, he was 109 and six at Wisconsin Whitewater. You still have to you still have to recruit players. You still got to coach them up, and you still got to win those ball games. No matter what the pedigree of the school is, no matter what level it's at, 109 and six. And then you know he went 30, 37 and 33 with with Buffalo, but taking them to three bowl games in Buffalo. Uh, what a terrible look! I mean, there's terrible location. I don't know if you guys have been to Buffalo, New York. Not much to it. Uh, I'm sure the Bill, Bills Mafia... Wow, Bill, Bill's Mafia will find you. I'm sure they would uh, disagree with me, but Buffalo not not that of appealing of a place, but nonetheless went and won there, you know. Um, he had a stretch at from 2009 to 2011 with Wisconsin Whitewater where he went 45-0 and zero, three straight years without losing a football game. I mean, the guy's just a football coach, and I, yeah, I, li- I like that. And that, that feels like I've heard multiple reporters or beat writers or analysts, whatever you want to call them, kind of use that same term with him. The dude's just a ball coach. And I think that's kind of what this program needs, you know, kind of like Tommy said. And, uh, you know, Les Miles was kind of a personality. I mean, maybe early in his career he was a ball coach, but kind of became a personality, kind of about a figurehead. And Lance Leipold, he just wants to come in, and he just wants to – to coach these football players. And I, I love that about him. So I'm excited for the hire. I, I, I liked, of course, I, you know, I said last, last week on the podcast that I wanted Jeff Munkin, but I, I think I also said, you know, either one would be a great hire. So very excited to move forward and see what uh, this team can do in the future. Other big news for Kansas football is that the Jayhawks are expected to keep Emmett Jones on staff. That came out being reported by Pete Thamel earlier this afternoon, actually just moments before we got started on the podcast. He also reports that defensive backs coach Chivas Jackson, defensive line coach Quan Drake, and inside linebackers coach Jacob Schoonover will be kept as KU assistants. Of course, Emmett Jones was the wide receivers coach, passing game coordinator for Les Miles. He was the interim head coach and got rave reviews 
I love that decision because Emma Jones, literally nobody in the universe has a bad thing to say about Emma Jones. And if there's one thing that Kansas football needs right now, it's good men of high integrity. And so Emma Jones is exactly that. So the more Emma Joneses we can have around in Lawrence, the better. We'll wrap up the KU football discussion with this, Tommy. What can we reasonably expect? And then Weston, obviously your take as well. What can we reasonably expect from Kansas football? How long does this take? Because we've seen so many times, oh, you know, this is a process. It's going to take time. It's going to take this. And then we watch a program like Central Florida come out of nowhere and be nationally relevant overnight. I am tired of seeing these mid-major, lower-level programs that are able to build up and have success in 15 minutes, and every time in KU, oh, well, it has to be a process. And I'm not necessarily saying that I'm expecting to go to a winning program in the first year for Coach Leopold, but what I am sick and tired of is being told to wait because I have waited a long time. I don't want to wait anymore. I don't want this program to be getting blown out by people by 70 every game and not be able to score and turn it over the first three possessions of the first half. I don't want to see that this year. I don't care if it's Lance Leopold, Jeff Munkin, or Tom Osborne coaching the team. So, but, but, I, but I understand that KU is starting from the bottom. And we are not going to be Big 12 relevant this year. We're not going to be bowl relevant this year. Probably not going to be either one of those things next year either. So, Tommy, what are your reasonable expectations and for this next and upcoming season? And then, Weston, I want yours. And how long does it take for camp for KU football fans to maybe feel like, you know what, I am proud of our program? How long will that take? Um, I think a reasonable expectation for Kansas this upcoming season, one win, maybe, um, you know, I, I he, just to put it in perspective, Lance Leopold is a winner, but it took him a while at Buffalo, which is to be expected. He was five and seven, sure. his first season at Buffalo. He was two and 10, his second season at Buffalo before he got it back to 500, his third season. And then fourth, fifth and sixth seasons were all bowl games for Lance Leopold. It took some time. Uh, And Buffalo, I would gather, was probably in a little bit of a better position than Kansas is right now. Than when Leipold took over at Buffalo. This is probably a bigger challenge for Leipold than when he took over the Buffalo Bulls. So uh, I think it's going to be probably two or three years. But I'll say the same thing that I've said all along, whether I'm talking about David Beatty or Les Miles or now Lance Leipold. As long as the fan base can start to see whether it's quantitative or qualitative improvement year over year, game over game, there might be a little bit of, you know, give and take game over game. That's a little bit tougher to see steady improvement, you know, from one game to the next, but especially year over year, as long as the fan base can see some things starting to move. I think that's what was so jarring about less miles for me was that Guys, remember in year one of the Les Miles era, there was some positive momentum. And I remember ending that very first season with Les Miles and thinking, 
all right, like we're moving in the right direction here. It might take a little bit of time, but we're, we're going to get there. And then season number two, they didn't win a single game. And that was, that was really, that was jarring to me, you know? So I, I think as long as the fan base can start to see some improvements year over year, um, I think that's okay because every, it's not a secret where this program is. Everybody knows where the program stands. Um, but I think that especially if if everybody believes that Lance Leipold is the guy that can pull KU out of the dumpster, you've got to give him the time to do so, in my opinion. You know, I think something – two things that I think are important to keep in mind here. One, we're already – Lance Leipold is already – behind on recruiting so this pretty much he's not getting to recruit a class coming into to the 20 well 2021 2022 season um because that time is already gone i mean i'm sure there's still some guys out there that haven't committed there'll be some guys that move around but for the most part this isn't going to be his recruiting class so then you're talking into a nick next year before he gets his own class and then the second thing i i think is important to keep in mind too is getting out of the bottom of the Mac is not the same as getting out of the bottom of the big 12, you know, Buffalo didn't have to go and play Oklahoma, Oklahoma state, Texas, you know, uh, Texas tech, you know, every year Baylor, you know, the, the competition of just the regular season is so much tougher for Kansas than it was in the Mac. So look, it's going to take some time. I think, I think there's some excitement just, I don't know. I I truly believe in I, this is nothing more than just my own personal feeling. I love when a coach is willing to coach towards strengths because, and I, I think that sounds so simple, but so many coaches do not do it. They have a system. They're going to run it. And that's it. As opposed to the coach that says, I'm going to adapt year in and year out to my strengths. I think you're going to see improvement. I'm not even saying it'll translate into wins, but you're going to see improvement almost immediately with his coaching style. And whether that's, just excitement or hey we're closer in games or maybe they win one maybe they win two maybe they win three this year i'm not predicting that but i truly think his coaching style is going to be so beneficial for this jayhawk team so i'm excited you know i think a a full rebuild you're i mean you're to, to being bowl eligible you know probably probably three four years out and that's the best case scenario so uh that's that's just kind of where i where i'm thinking this is at right now we will find out. Kansas football is uh, finally got their man, and uh, it's a one that Tommy likes. We'll see if this one works out better than the last guy Tommy liked because he also liked Les Miles, and that one uh, did not go out, not turn out so well for the Crimson and the Blue. It's time for uh, Tommy to hit the music as we hit the whip around, the Wichita whip around, a look at all the sports stories in and around Wichita that we think that you probably ought to know about. We usually try to limit it to feel-good stories during this segment to make you smile as we step aside from the program and start to wrap things up. Tommy, we'll start with you, your Wichita whip around yeah, for this so week. Yeah, so I want to talk about a story that uh, hits a little bit close to home to me. Uh, I'm not going to pull a Weston and make it about myself. Um, but I will say that I will say we that this story that. happened just a couple of miles from where, where I grew up uh, in the town of Clearwater. So this was back in 2019. There was uh, just an absolutely awful car accident that happened on the date of March 9th, or I'm sorry, March 6th, 2019, just north of Clearwater that injured several members of the Tobias family in Wichita. Um, 
the there was one i mean there were several injuries from several members of the family but the the family member that was injured the most and the worst was 13 year old caleb tobias uh the car rolled twice uh he was critically injured he uh shattered his pelvis every bone in his face he had uh, swelling on the brain a lot of injuries from caleb tobias but he never let that totally you know distract him he recovered from his injuries he is now blind but he is now competing in track at clearwater middle school he competes in the 400 meter run i'm sorry clearwater high school uh he's a freshman there now and this is what i think is really cool about this story so there's a physical therapist in the clearwater school district her name is jerry Beatty, and she serves as a scene guide for caleb during the races so she's tethered to him and she basically runs and keeps up with him so he knows where he's running in these different track meets and i just think that's pretty incredible that just the amount of tenacity and dedication from a young uh, from young Caleb Tobias after that devastating car accident that left him blind and he had a ton of injuries came back from that uh, and now he's succeeding in athletics he played a lot of different sports before the accident but he always wanted to run track and now he's got the opportunity to do so and not letting that disability get in his way so hats off to Caleb uh, it was a story that I know a lot of people that that I know from my hometown followed very closely. Um, I don't personally know the family, but uh, I definitely followed the story as well. So pretty neat to see this kid uh, thriving and excelling, getting a chance to run track the way that he does. And so hats off to him. That's my story. My story is we're moving to actually Ottawa, Kansas, but it's about Wichita sports. We got the 2021-2021 KCAC Outdoor Track and Field Championships taking place uh, tomorrow as we're recording or as you're listening today. So that's May 6th and May 7th. Uh, so we have uh, the final standings in the team championship race appear to be on a similar track as the friends women are favored to win a sixth straight title. While the men of uh, University of St. Mary, we don't really care about that, but they're slight favorites uh, to take home a second street second straight team championship uh, with the friends Falcons very much in contention as they swept the indoor championships. Yeah, Blake. Yeah, here you go. I'm talking friends. I'm talking Wichita. It's all right. Wow. I mean, Southwestern Look won like guy. 30 some track championships back in the day. So it's all right. We can have, let somebody else have their, have their moment, <laughs> but a couple other uh, performances to note. So we have some returning defending champions from 2019 as the 2020 KCAC outdoor track and field was canceled last year due to covid um in the just from the area we've got the friends women four by four relay team uh was the defending champions for 2019 they'll be back in action obviously uh and either tomorrow or friday i'm not sure when the relays are whether that's tomorrow or friday um and then on the men's side we got the friends four by eight team one in 2019 so they will obviously be returning there as well as Caden Gustafsson, who was the 2019 men's triple jump out of Friends University, and Noah Meyer, who is a two-time champion uh, in the long jump, also from Friends University. So that is some of the returning starters, and you, certainly it looks like um, there will be fans can attend. Uh, there will be your typical pretty much like everybody knows the protocols these days social distancing masks um if anybody wants to go out to bill 
BOSIC track of Ottawa University that uh, will be taking place May 6th and May 7th. Well, I, I cannot believe that that he that Weston Mills of all people just said something nice about Friends Athletics on the show. I'm I'm actually stunned. So congratulations to you. Um, there's there's a, a level of decency within you that I didn't think actually existed. So you're to be commended for that. Um, I'm going to go with girls soccer, uh, high school soccer around the Wichita area. I don't know if you guys have checked out the standings in the western half of the class brackets. There are a ton of local teams that are involved at or near the top. 4-1A to West, Circle Thunderbirds, number one, 10-0, Mulvane and Bueller, both two and three in the standings. 5A West, Eisenhower and Mays coming into this week, both 11-0, and Andover and Bishop Carroll, 3-4, Cape and Mount Carmel, 6th, Mays South was 7th. And at 6A West, Wichita East was number one coming into this week at 9-2, and Northwest of Wichita was 3rd. Grizzlies nine and three on the year. Now East lost. I think they I think they lost to Liberal Redskins earlier this week. We don't like Liberal and Northwest lost to Manhattan Indians. And we don't like Manhattan either. But um, really, really great local representation for girls soccer. So hats off to you, ladies, on the pitch. And that is our Wichita whip around, guys. Before we wrap up the show, any additions, corrections? Or yeah, I actually have a couple of different additions uh, to to the show. One of which I think I don't know if it's an addition or more of an omission. Something we we omitted, we didn't talk about in one of our topics. Going back to the wind surge, uh, I I know Blake, you did mention that they are one and zero on the season, but we didn't talk about how they got to one and zero on the season against the Springfield Cardinals in their opening game. Four pitchers combined for fourteen strikeouts and a four hit shutout to kick off the the inaugural season for the Wichita win surge. So hats off. The pitching was phenomenal in game number one. As of right now, as of this recording, the game is in the bottom of the eighth right now, and the win surge hold a 5-4 lead over the Springfield Cardinals. It's been kind of a back-and-forth game. The win surge uh, had two runs in the third, uh, added a run in the fifth, and then came up with two in the top of the seventh to take that 5-4 to four lead. So, of course, by the time this uh, show drops, uh, everybody will know the outcome of that game. The other addition that I have goes back to the Royals. Actually, more specifically, it goes back to my entire diatribe against Angel Hernandez. I don't know if as we've been recording, I don't know if as we've been <laughs> recording terrible. the show, if you guys have been following the Royals game tonight, Angel Hernandez happens to be behind the plate, which is out, outstanding. Uh, he called the bulk on Brady Singer and then he ejected Mike Matheny and Cal Eldred for coming out and complaining and debating about that bulk. So Angel Hernandez is in true uh you know form and fashion the way that he always is mid-season form so, uh, that's an addition that angel hernandez still sucks tonight god it's so unbelievable how you can just continue to step in it and i, I mean we haven't i haven't seen the play obviously because we've been recording the show so i have no idea maybe it was a good call it but i mean like i had a conversation i had with somebody on twitter today you know he doesn't have any benefit of the doubt left. He needs to be fired. And Major League Baseball Umpires Association, you're a joke and you're a fraud and you're bad for baseball if you continue to let this doofus ruin your game. So shut up 
and get him out. He's terrible. If there was a, to, to borrow a phrase from Tony Kornheiser, if there was a living, breathing commissioner of baseball, <laughs> they should pay for this guy to move to Antarctica because he's terrible. Get him out of baseball. Uh, horrible. Any additions, corrections, or retractions for you, Mr. Mills? Absolutely. We are an hour and 25 minutes into this podcast, and I'm sure our listeners are sitting here thinking, Weston, not one one peep nothing about the Chiefs draft selections. Well, I am here to tell you I got you covered. I'm going to give you the one-minute rundown. Uh, Chiefs had a fantastic draft, in my opinion. Uh, started out with round two. They took Nick Bolton, linebacker out of Missouri. Uh, very diverse, can kind of move around, can play middle, probably plays a little bit of off ball immediately. Day one is going to be on the field for the Chiefs. Also round two, they took center Creed Humphrey out of Oklahoma, another day one starter who did not allow a sack in three seasons at Oklahoma. Uh, didn't have a pick till round four. They took a very um, athletic uh, Joshua Kando, defensive end out of Florida State. Has raw talent. I don't know if he will be on the field from the get-go. Round five, they took Noah Gray, a tight end out of Duke. He is not necessarily the backup to Travis Kelsey. He plays kind of a hybrid fullback, tight end, H-back type role will probably be used quite a bit early on, I think, in a little bit of different roles as Anthony Sherman retired. You'll see Noah Gray probably slide in and get some of those snaps at fullback. Uh, also in round five took Cornell Powell, wide receiver out of Clemson. Uh, in round six, they took massive, massive Trey Smith, who is a guard out of Tennessee, who many thought could have gone as early as round three. Very probably will not see... Uh, starting spot in in his first season, but definitely will be a contributor soon. So that's the rundown. You knew I couldn't let it go. Boys, any thoughts on that? Are you guys just ready to end the show now that I ruined the moment for you, Blake? I know you hate talking about. Uh, I mean, I have an addition, sir. Yeah, you you know my thoughts. I, I don't care about the draft. Show me these guys when they put on a Chiefs uniform. Until then, Great. I mean, I'm glad that the Chiefs didn't let their draft picks go to waste. Tommy, yeah, I don't really have thoughts. much to contribute. Um, I'll be honest. This was probably the first draft in several years I didn't really watch and I didn't pay a lot of attention to, mainly because we talked about it last week. There's not a glaring overall need for the Chiefs and they didn't have a pick in the first round. Uh, sure. And I'm also obsessed right now with MLB The Show on Xbox. And so I've been playing that a lot in the evenings. Uh, and so I didn't watch the draft. I, I played. Uh, I played MLB the show. So I I I have to say, Tommy, download the game. Not a fan, and I don't know if it's. I'm not necessarily saying it's the game, but yeah, I I've what? already uninstalled. Actually, what? don't don't didn't like. What is wrong yeah, with Did you? not like it at all. Um, no, uh, it's not Major League uh, Baseball okay. featuring King Griffey Jr., I guess. So I, mean, I, would, I guess if it's not that, then I can't play it. I would like to chime in as the only dad on the podcast and say, Tommy, you better just play as much as you can the next month, buddy, because just <laughs> if you think you're going to be getting any cuts after that. It's going to be a bit, I think, before you're back on the sticks. Yeah, I, I would understand. Uh, real quick note, Ty Ty Washington, KU ba- basketball target has announced on May 15th, he will announce his collegiate destination. Washington decommitted from Creighton. Uh, KU considered to be one of the favorites along with Arizona and Kentucky. He's also considering Baylor, LSU, and Oregon. Creighton filled that void by signing Ryan Hawkins out of Northwest Missouri State, the, what, three out of four-year national champion, four-year MIAA champion. Uh, and they the only, only MIAA championship they lost was in the 
championship game on a half court shot to Washburn. Other major news, and uh, you know, I contemplated putting this in the main show. That just too much stuff couldn't fit it in. But Newman women's basketball has a head coach, big time hire, Drew Johnson, four years at Bethel College. And his wife is joining him, associate head coach at Bethel, Nicole Oldie Johnson, the former Kansas State star, the former WNBA champion. Threshers went four and twenty-six the year before the Johnsons arrived, twelve and eighteen in their first year. Bethel went twenty and ten in his second year. That was a program record for wins. Abby Schmidt from Newton, a three-time NAIA All-American, developed by the Johnsons. Of course, they started Oldie Elite, a big-time training program that was well. Well-known. They've got all kinds of connections across high school and summer basketball, AAU basketball across the state of Kansas. Ended up going 64-53 and 53 in those four seasons. In four years, he got to third all-time in Bethel women's basketball win history. 16-10 and 10 this past season, went 16-6 and six in the KCAC, and the Threshers made their first ever NAIA national tournament this past season. I think it's a 10 out of 10 hire for Joanna Pryor. Really excited to, to to get to work with them. Really excited to welcome them on campus. They're going to be on the JetCast next week. Um, so, yeah, Tommy, I am I am so excited. And that's not to say that they have an easy act to follow. Darren Spence, the all-time winningest coach in Newman history. And like I've said before, nothing but the best for Coach Crum and Coach Spence as they depart. And I don't think the cupboard's bare. I think that they've got players. I think Newman could compete, not necessarily for a league championship. I think that they're going to win, and I think that they're going to win sooner than a lot of people think they are. I cannot explain to you guys how excited I am to get them on campus, meet with them. I want October to get here like right now. I, I am so excited for Newman women's basketball. I don't I have anything to add it. other than uh, if he's going to be on the jet cast maybe he can be on keeper of the games as well i mean i i can see if we can work that out at some point i i would not mind doing that that is our show for this week uh it is in the books once again cogsports.com cogpod.podomatic.com and at cogpod on twitter Interact with us on Twitter and Facebook. Easiest way to get in touch with us. And make sure you download, like, and subscribe so you'll get the notifications every time we upload a new episode. We record these Monday, Tuesday, or Wednesday, and they come out the next day each and every week. Before we say goodbye for our beloved audio listeners, Tommy and Weston, your yeah, Twitter so handles, if you please. are not watching this episode right now and you don't see the Twitter handle on the screen below. You can follow me anytime on Twitter at tweets from Tommy. You can uh, follow me at W Mills 94 for the hottest and best takes on all of Twitter sphere. Uh, story does not quite check out. Uh, BE Crips on Twitter for me. We'll be back next week. We'll see if the Royals continue on their trajectory of Shocker softball headed into the postseason. We'll see how Shocker baseball turns out. And we may have a destination for Ty Ty Washington next week, guys. We'll see. Uh, that'll be interesting to see if how that plays out. So that is it for Tommy and for Weston. Blake Crips here signing off for Keep of the Games. Take care, guys. You've been listening to Keeper of the Games with Tommy Castor, Weston Mills, and Blake Cripps. Don't forget to subscribe, download, and listen on all major podcast platforms like Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and more. Visit our website at cogsports.com. Find the podcast and videos on Facebook and YouTube at Keeper of the Games. 
and follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at CogPod. That's K-O-G-Pod. <laughs>